0: Question 1. Who are you? Where are you? Has your environment or lifestyle shaped how you write? Hello, everyone. My name is Cole Thornsbury. I'm 24 years old. In my free time, I like to sit and think about story plots and cool lines for my characters. I enjoy sports, the outdoors, magic, and music. But more than any of those things, I love stories. Whether it is a comic book, a video game, a TV show, or a novel, I'm from a small town called Metamora in the wonderful state of Michigan. Metamora is mostly a farm town that is about 30 minutes east of Flint and about an hour north of Detroit. I was diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of 12, and that has a major influence on my writing. I also draw a lot of inspiration for characters from it. Because I have to worry about flashing lights like a strobe light, intense lightning, or sometimes even gunfire in many of the films and television shows that I watch, I feel much more comfortable while I read stories. So it just kind of made sense to try to write my own, so I could fully enjoy the cool things like a lightning battle. The environment that I grew up in was filled with people who loved books. My grandmother, Bonnie, loved reading, and that was something she definitely passed on to me. I remember always going to the local library with her as a child. She even wrote her own short stories and kept a journal, so I think the passion for writing comes from that. Also, me and my oldest brother are both major history buffs. I remember watching documentaries on the pharaohs and gods from ancient Egypt with him from a very early age, and that is where I believe my, my interest in history, magic, and mythology all really started. I live a pretty laid-back lifestyle, but the characters I write about are anything but. I like to write about characters with grit, characters who, have, who may not have a lot of things that they care about, but the few things that they hold dear they would quickly lay down their lives to save, because they know it would change them entirely to lose those things forever. Question 2. Let's go back to the beginning. What type of books did you grow up reading? Do you return to them? Did someone inspire you to write? why do you write? As a child, I read fantasy and historical fiction mostly. Some of my favorite books that I read as a small child were from the Magic Treehouse series by Mary Pope Osborne, which follow the siblings Jack and Annie Smith as they travel through time using their magical treehouse. Some of my favorites from that series were Dinosaurs Before Dark and Civil War on Sunday. I always loved learning something from them while reading. I really loved the work of fellow Michigan author Jonathan Rand. He wrote two children's horror series. I remember all my classmates loved his work as well, but I don't know if the first series is as well-known outside of Michigan. One was The Michigan Chillers, with wonderful titles like Poltergeists of Petoskey and Dinosaurs Destroy Detroit. The other series he did may be more known, I don't know, but it's the American Chiller series. It, too, had great titles, like Iron Insects Invade Indiana and Poisonous Pythons Paralyze Pennsylvania. Also, along with nearly every other child who was born in the 90s, I loved Goosebumps and Harry Potter. Harry Potter was actually one of the first books I read. Oddly enough, I started reading the series with Goblet of Fire, probably because it was the one my brothers were reading at the time. For a long time, I only read historical fiction, particularly stories about World War II like Soldier X by Don Wolfson, or related to it like Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes by Eleanor Kaur, which, if you haven't read either of them, I highly recommend them. Let me tell you a little bit about Soldier X real quick. Here's the blurb. 16-year-old Eric Brandt barely knows what Germany is fighting for when he is drafted into Hitler's army in 1944. Sent to the killing fields of the Eastern Front, he is surrounded by unimaginable sights more horrific than ever thought possible. It's kill or be killed, and it seems clear that Eric's days are numbered. Until, covered in blood and seriously injured, he conceives of another way to survive. I don't want to spoil anything else about it, but here's a quick bit from the author's notes. This is a work of fiction, based on the lives of two very remarkable people. Details have been altered whenever necessary. The story is not only true, but also loosely parallels the experience of an estimated 30,000 German soldiers during World War II on the Eastern Front. It is such a good read, and it makes you think about how some of the soldiers serving Germany felt. Now, the other is Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. Sadako is a story that I feel absolutely everyone must read at least once in their life. It's the fictional retelling of Sadako Sasaki's story. She was a young girl who was two years old when the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Although she survived the initial blast, the radiation causes her to develop leukemia but she keeps her spirit strong and sets the goal to fold 1,000 origami cranes so that her wish to be cured will will come true so she can go back to running in races. I promise you that if you give it a chance, you will love this book. Do I return to any books from my childhood? Only Harry Potter and Percy Jackson, really. I just love them so much. I write for the hopes that someone may pick up my book and they might walk away knowing a thing or two more than they did about mythology or history beforehand. I was inspired by comic book writer Marv Wolfman. He wrote many things, but my favorite is the New Teen Titans series that came, back, came out back in, the nine, er, back in the 80s. He and the artist George Perez created one of my all-time favorite characters with that run Beast Boy. Another writer that influenced me would definitely be Rick Riordan. He was the author who kind of pulled me back from the historical fiction and pushed me back into fantasy. And like I said earlier, I have always been interested in mythology, and he taught me of the Greek mythos in just such a wonderful way. Question 3. Process. What steps do you take to write? When do you pull the plug? Are there big no-nos? What is most important? It all starts with brainstorming. I know everyone says that, but it's true. I think about an idea for about a day or two before I even begin the writing process. I'll think about the main characters, how they think, how they speak, what major events happened in their lives to make them become who they are today. I love working on setting because it involves research. I know that makes me a little weird, but I just love it. Most of my projects take place in the past. So like with Hero of Midgard, I got to look up things like Viking folk music, which was really cool. I read up extensively on their culture, obviously, and that began with writing out a list of questions that I had. Like, what did they eat and drink? What festivals did they celebrate? What were their houses made of? What did they do with their criminals? How did they farm? What were their weddings like? All sorts of different questions, touching on almost every aspect of life. Then, I'll wonder if it'll be good for the plot if this character and that character were a couple. Or if they were sworn enemies and things like that. I always like to type out the initial draft on my phone. When I finished Hero of Midgard's first two drafts, I think it was, I had about uh, about 80 pages. I started writing about a fifth of the way through the actual story, so I had to go back and actually come up with a beginning. And then that influenced a totally different ending. It was really nice. So I honestly don't think it matters in which order you really really you take those steps so long as you actually take them. The last thing I did with my book was break it up into chapters, which I'm I know it might be a little strange, but I never really got around to it until the end. As I was writing, I had a general idea of where the chapters would end, but it wasn't until the story was finished when I went through and really put the chapters in and came up with chapter titles. When do I pull the plug? I've pulled the plug on a project because I thought it was too similar to another series. But most of the time, I'll pull the plug on something if it just... Over time, it just drops from my mind and I lose interest. If I stop thinking about it, the story's doomed. I really try to see my projects to at least a single draft, though. Are there any writing no-nos? Honestly, I don't think there is. I was always told a good rule if your character has a pet and they have a really good bond with each other then never kill that pet off but one of my favorite child childhood novels stone fox breaks that very rule and it does it so well there is always someone who will be willing to read what you have taken your time to write all right what's the next question the most important thing in writing if i had i'd probably say heart If you have a passion for that subject, then others will be able to tell. People respect those who follow their passion, and for me as a reader, that respect is doubled if I can feel the passion in every sentence. Another important thing that would be willingness to learn. For the first half of someone's life, they could be totally against a certain way of life or a way of thinking. But all that could change with a single event in their life, and from that lesson, because they were willing to learn from it, they, that could change the way that they perceive things on an everyday basis, which in turn really adds to your writing. Question four. Who are you reading right now and why? When you pick up a book, what are you looking for? It's the worst book you've ever read. I currently am not reading anything. I know it's a shocker, but I just I ha- really haven't gotten around to it. I do have plans to read Irish Yang's novel, Wings of a Flying Tiger, though. It sounds absolutely wonderful from the description, and I have heard that it is a very important story that needed to be told. The reason I have for being interested in it is because it, it is set in World War II, and it has details about the conflict in the Pacific that I was totally unaware of, and like I said earlier, I love to learn about history. When I pick up a book, I first look at the cover. If I like the art, I'll give it a shot. If it doesn't have amazing... Art on the cover, but it has a cool title. I'll look at the blurb, and if that doesn't draw my attention, then I'll just move on to the next thing. I have been made to read a fair amount of bad books in school, just like everyone else. There were ones like Sarah Plain and Tall that others loved. It wasn't poorly written at all. The story itself wasn't bad, it was just the setting. It was set back in the pioneer days. In the plains of the United States. The problem with that is the fact that I always hated learning about that era in school, which rarely ever happened when it came to history class. But the one book that stands out above all others as the worst book that I've ever read would be Tuck Everlasting. I remember reading it in the third grade, and I just despised that novel. I don't want to be mean or anything, but to me, it was just so dull, and it dragged on forever. Now, speaking of bad books, I want to tell you of a trick that I would pull when I was in grade school. Whenever we were told to write a book report, I would always pick the worst-looking book on, in the library to choose for my report. Then I would read about three chapters of it, and I'd put it down, and I'd start writing my book report. I'd write my report on how I would have told that story which always made it a, at least a little more interesting. And then later on in high school, after years of not pulling that trick at all in class, I tried pulling it on my English teacher. He called me over, and he said to me, Thornsbury, you never even read your book, but man, can you bullshit your way through anything. And if memory serves me correctly, he gave me a C on it because I turned it in, but... Yeah, it was, it it was, it's a funny story to look back on. And I always, I always think about uh, that as one of the moments that really drove me to bullshit my way through my own stories, I guess you could say. Question five, what was the inspiration for your novel? What was the hardest part of making it? What was your favorite part about making it? My novel was inspired by so many things, and oddly enough, almost none of them were novels themselves. Right off the top of my head, I think about the show Vikings, which was written by Michael Hurst. It came out in my late teenage years, it aired on History Channel in the United States, and it caused me to plunge headfirst into anything and everything that had to do with the Viking Age. Then, ultimately, I chose that as my subject matter because I immediately fell in love with their culture. I loved how there was so much about them we didn't know because of their lack of written history in forms other than poems, some of which they don't really translate very well. Then there was a video game called Smite where players chose a god or goddess uh, from one of the many pantheons that they had available ranging from Mayan to Japanese, and they would do battle in this giant arena. It's so much fun. I love this game. In the character descriptions they told you about that god or goddess and it really jump-started my enthusiasm for the norse mythology because i always played with with characters like freya ymir or soul and it just added more fuel to the fire for my love of that culture the final uh the, fi- the finale of this perfect storm of inspiration would have to be the shows done by Brian Canetsco and Michael D. Martino. Avatar The Last Airbender, which came out when I was in grade school and really impacted my beliefs as well as just me as a person in my everyday life. Honestly, it's crazy to think about how different of a person I would be if that show had never seen the light of day. And then there's the show Legend of Korra, which is the sequel series to Avatar, if you didn't know. And that was the final straw that really led to me writing Hero of Midgard. My girlfriend, Nicole, got me the whole series on DVD for Legend of Korra about three years ago, and I binge-watched it all in a few days. Something just clicked. I can't really explain it, and the idea for my novel just came rushing to my head. Until that point, I had only written a few things. One horrible Harry Potter fan fiction when I was like 11 and then it it followed me at hogwarts as i hunted down other students who were werewolves it was very much unreadable and i promise that no one wants to read it i had also written one short story that i remember all the kids in my class liked when i brought it in and read it it was about an american sniper over in europe during world war ii I don't remember too much about it, except he collected all of the dog tags of the people he shot, which ultimately led to his own death by a German sniper. The hardest part of writing Hero of Midgard was keeping the mythology fresh, without crossing over into other versions of it, like how Marvel portrays a lot of these deities, because almost everyone has seen those movies by now. Another really hard part was to choose which version of the mythos to go along with. There are two main sources of material to research. One is a compilation of poems which date back to the Norse people themselves called the Poetic Edda. This one has the majority of the more well-known information. The other was the Prose Edda, which was written by Snorri Sturluson, I think his name's pronounced, in Iceland about uh, in the 13th century, which is about 200 years after the official ending of the Viking Age. So all the information might not be totally accurate. And let me tell you, it was a pain reading one source saying that this God was the brother of this goddess or God. But you read the other source that says that these two are not siblings, but in fact, the other one is the uncle or the aunt to this God or that this goddess was the sister of that god, only to find out that the other source says that they were husband and wife, and they've had two children with each other. It's hard, but it it was also so rewarding when I finally found a way to make it work and keep it refreshing at the same time. My favorite part about writing Hero of Midgard was the combat, and then another favorite part was the magic. And then they come together for the magic combat which I just love writing so much about. I love finding out a way a man whose magical ability is the ability to control sugar. And then I love to find out how he can use that power to defend himself in a fight. And all of the cool lines I can come up with during combat on top of that, that I feel extra authenticity to some of these characters. I mean, come on, who doesn't love to talk smack when you're beating someone, Right. Question six, what kind of book isn't on your shelf, but you'd like to see there? What kind of books do we need more of? What would you like to see? I would like to see more stories that would make more teenage boys want to read. Not stories that involved around romance. Some romance is fine, but in, in the end, if my main question well I'm reading you is I wonder if Johnny's going to end up with his crush Claire or the best friend who has been covering her affection for years I'm not interested in that story I want action I want blood I want swearing I want grit when I was a teen I got so bored with what was mainstream that I started reading books about people like Jack the Ripper Until eventually, I basically just quit reading altogether in my late teens. If there are other popular characters out there like Percy Jackson, and yeah, I get it, there's not swearing in Percy Jackson, but there's action and there's a little bit of blood, then maybe I would have to read more. And that is one of the main reasons why I decided to write. I would like to see more books following real characters that you may not know uh, too much about or in worlds or lands that you may not know too much about. Like I said earlier, I love learning while reading. I'd love to see books about a bad character's redemption on my shelf. Going back to television, I know I keep going back to television, but if I could have more books with a character's story, a character's arc like Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender on my bookshelf, that would make me so happy. His sole purpose was to turn the Avatar over to his father, so that he could return home with his honor restored and his father's respect again. But towards the end, he realizes that with the help of his uncle, that not only does he not want respect of the men like his father, but there is more than one way to regain your honor. Question 7. What are your writer do's and don'ts for marketing? Have you had social media mishaps? Would you or do you partake in panels at conventions? Which ones are on your to-do list? A big must for marketing and social media as a whole is to make yourself available before your work is. Make those accounts and start making friends. I like to talk about more than just books on my social media. I like to talk about what video games I'm playing, what shows I'm watching, what movies I've seen. Uh, I'll post song lyrics that inspire, that have inspired characters or scenes or whatever. Um, it, but it's not always about writing. There's uh, I have a couple friends, including Moss, that I try to talk to as much about possible. And some sometimes you see you'll see a friend in a low spot and you just have to talk to them. Or another one of my friends on Twitter, she is always making good looking food. So I am always telling her how great it looks and how it drives me nuts seeing all this good home cooking so far away because she lives on the other side of the country. As far as mishaps go, there have been times I've gotten into an argument with someone on Twitter and I've, I've just had to remind myself that it isn't even worth it and that I need to block them and just move on. Another Another big mishap I see all the time is nothing but political posts. I mean, I understand supporting causes that are important to you. Like the last election, I made a few posts in, f- in favor of Proposal 1, which was the legalization of recreational marijuana to those over 21 in Michigan. As a medical marijuana patient, I was more than happy to speak up for looser laws on a legitimate medication that helps so many in my state. I understand that a lot of people who live in the states, especially people who live in the states, aren't happy with the current state of our government, but I don't want to hear it. Just tell me about your book. Tell me about what you've, you've got in the works. Tell me about your writing. Tell me about you. I don't want to hear nothing but your political views. Now, I would love to partake in a panel at a convention. I have never been to one, but I would really love to go to the Detroit Comic Con, just so I, which is coming up soon, just so I can get a feel for the atmosphere before I get a table or get on a panel or whatever. Another one I would, one that's on my uh, checkout list would be to check out Vcon that you talk about so much, uh, Moss. I would love to check out the panels for that and just get a feel for what's going on there, but it's just so far away. (laughs) Question eight, what is something that every reader needs to be doing in the real world? Why do we lose track of the essential stuff? That's a very good question, Moss. It is so important to escape from everything that stresses you out on a daily basis. My favorite thing to do to get away is go to my family's cabin in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula of Michigan. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have seen the pictures I post of up there. It is so far back in the woods, and there is normally nobody around. I love to unwind and listen to the birds outside, or if it's fall, I'll go walk around in the trails that, have, uh, near, that I have nearby to look at the colors of the leaves. For me, the forest is the escape, but that is different for everyone. It could be a trip to the beach for someone or up into the mountains. Hell, for some people, it could be as simple as a movie night with their spouse and children. Whatever the escape is for you, I promise you it will help you crash through any writer's block that you have. I think we lose track of the essential stuff because we just get caught up in life. with Whether it's stressing out over work, or focusing on your family and household, until eventually things, they just slip through the cracks because nobody can handle all that. People keep piling things onto their plate, but sometimes it just helps to take a step back and say to yourself, I am not Kal-El or kara I can't do everything at once like a superhero. You have to know your limits. And yes, it's good to keep pushing yourself, but you have to keep a balance. You just miss out on too much when you put too many things on your plate. You just miss out on life. Question 9. Tell us about other things you write. What attracts you to those genres? Are there things you won't write? I I have quite a few things in the works right now. I have a children's novella that follows a kid who gets lost in the forest of northern Michigan. I have a dark fantasy that follows a vampire motorcycle club. I really love how that one's coming along. I started writing it when I quit smoking cigarettes a few years back, and any I would get the urge to smoke, I'd put myself in the place of these badass vampire bikers, and I would just I'd get over it. I have a series of uh, historical fantasy short stories on Wattpad. Some of them tie in with Hero of Midgard, the series is called Pathways to Valhalla, and it follows Norse men and women during their final day on Midgard, and it was one of the first things that I ever shared with people. I remember having Moss read the first one for me, because he was he's such a swell guy. <laughs> I have a few other things in the works, like the sequel to Hero of Midgard, which the is—the title, I mean, is still a little bit of a secret, maybe in the next couple weeks or a couple months. A historical fiction set in Normandy during World War II. I think I'm attracted to these genres because it's what I grew up on. I loved watching war movies and reading novels about war. I remember me and my, older, my other older brother, I'm the youngest of three, uh, me and my other older brother, we'd always watch monster movies about vampires and werewolves and stuff like that on the weekends. These types of, story, these types of stories have always been around uh for me at least so i would love to contribute to the legacy of these genres if i can if there's anything that i wouldn't write i would say a sex scene but i kind of already did one for my for my book it was totally uncomfortable for me to write it and it was only a, it's only a paragraph long before i skip ahead in time <laughs> i have a problem with scenes depicting abuse as well I can't really get myself to write anything like that because it's, it's hard to get in that sort of headspace, you know? If someone won't read my stuff because of those reasons, then I'm more than fine with that. Question 10. Who has your back? Who is your support? Where do you go and what do you do to recharge? I have so many great people in my corner. My brothers Andy and Aaron both can't wait to read what I write. Andy will listen to what... I say when I'm talking about a good idea that I've had Aaron will ignore me and because he would just prefer to wait until my stories are finished that way he can just go and read them he he's not the type of first and for spoilers (laughs) um my mother has had my back since day one she doesn't read everything I write like the pathways to Valhalla short story she's only read a couple of those but she reads some of it, and what she does read, she enjoys. Then there's my best buddy. Everyone calls him Hartwell. He is the first person I told other than Nicole that I was writing a book, and he has wanted a copy ever since. So I created a character and based it on him. He's aware of the character, and he, uh, he's aware of the character, and he loves that character. It's awesome that he actually likes the character I turned him into. Now, the person who supports me would be my beautiful girlfriend, Nicole. We met back in high school, and for some reason, she's stuck around for this long. She's my first reader, and the best part about her being my first reader is she isn't afraid to hurt my feelings by giving me an honest critique, because in the end, we both want the same thing, for me to write something I can be proud of. One of my favorite things to do to recharge is to go fishing, I just love sitting out on a lake all day with some good friends or family. You don't even have to catch anything because the conversation is always the best part. And if you do catch something, you get a nice picture to save the memory before throwing the fish back. It's just such a relax- relaxing experience. Question 11. Looking at legacy, how do you want to be remembered? Is there a project you've got to do in the future, a kind of capstone? As far as legacy goes, I'm just trying to write books that people enjoy. If I'm lucky enough to have more than just a few handfuls of people as readers, then I'll be happy. And then if I can also have a fan base that enjoys my stories that I can also have fun interacting with, I'm more than fine with that. I don't need to be remembered like guys like Pratchett or Tolkien or anyone else like that. I have always wanted to actually write the story to a video game. If I was ever lucky enough to live out that dream, then my writing career will have turned out better than I could have ever hoped for. Maybe something like the Fable series? That'd be way cool. Maybe someday. Another thing would like that would be really sweet that I'd like to do would be write a graphic novel or be involved in a cartoon. I love shows like King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers, Archer, Futurama. And so that would be another dream come true if I could, I can't even describe how happy I would be if I could be a part of something like that. Question 12. Do our stories equal our culture? Does storytelling shape identity? What service to humanity do stories provide? This might be my favorite question so, uh, so far, Moss. I really think so. If you look at cultures like the Vikings, to teach their children, all they had, for the most part, were stories. Stories of their kings from Bure and Ironside to the first king of all Norway, Harald Fairhair, to teach them of where they had been. Then you had the stories of the gods, Thor, Balder, and Freyr, just to name a few, teaching of the future of the world. They told stories about men so great that all these centuries later, some experts call them off as myths which is the case with Ragnar Lodbrok. Yet, even with all those stories, they still don't have answers for many things, such as the great king Ivar the Boneless, who even to this day they are unsure of how and when he died. I really think it does shape identity, maybe not to a culture as a whole, but there will always be those eras in history when storytelling, whether a novel or play, have been great achievements of those civilizations. I was told in school that during times of war, the American people look for escape more than when at times of peace. I think that is true for even today. There may not be a massive war going on, because he was referring to World War II, but there, were, there are a lot of crazy things going on in our world right now, and I think that stories provide the service of escaping from them, even if it's only for a little bit. Question 13. You're doing traditional publishing. Why not self-publish? Have you, or would you, Indie? Yes, I am. And so far, I've had a great experience through the publishing process. I have loved working with all the people who have been involved. I wouldn't self-publish right now simply because I lack the knowledge to be as successful as I think I can be with a traditional publisher. I don't think I currently have what it takes to self-publish and then promote on top of handling all the editing and everything else that goes along with the process. I tip my hat to those writers I see on Twitter every day who have gone this route because that, I tell you, that is true passion for your project. I would consider self-publishing if I had the right story, and it came along later on in my career when I were more knowledgeable of all these other aspects of the writing industry. Until then. I think I'm just going to stick with how I'm doing it because it seems to be working pretty well so far and I'm, I'm happy with the process so far. Question 14, give us a little tour of your fantasy world. Well, hop right in, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> My fantasy world is the Norse universe of Yggdrasil, the world tree. I wouldn't, I, I won't go through all the worlds, but some of the eight worlds found throughout the world tree are Midgard the world of humans, Alfheim; the world of elves, and Helheim, the world ruled by the goddess Hel. I have many gods and goddesses in my story. A few of them, you me, are Odin, Freya, and Hel herself. Throughout Yggdrasil, not all deities are born. With magical gems called Ymir stones that some say were once the teeth of the ancient frost giant himself, any mortal deemed worthy by one of these stones can have the power of a god. Also in my universe, the elves practice a powerful ancient type of spirit magic that comes at a great, great cost. And each living creature has a de- has dest- their destinies woven into the web of weird, which itself is shockingly malleable. Question 15. What writer, not me, would you like to meet? What would you talk about? Where would you go and why? (laughs) Aw, but I would really want to hang out with you, Moss. (laughs) Um, Other than you, I have a few answers for this one. The first person I would like to meet would be Lewis Carroll. Alice in Wonderland was my first introduction to really out-there fantasy. To this day, I get the same feeling from his stories. The way that he actually put you in Wonderland, it is still one of my favorite fictional worlds to revisit. And the incredible thing is you notice something different on almost every visit. I would like to talk to him about world building so I could try to better understand how he thought up so many legendary characters within just one series, and maybe he could give me a few pointers on it. I would take him somewhere so he could see the influence on not only the fantasy world, but in music as well, with many songs written about his characters. I think it would be interesting to hear his thoughts on a psychedelic blacklight poster with with a character like the Cheshire Cat on it. I think he would have an interesting reaction to that in particular. The next writer would be Ernest Hemingway. Out of all the authors I was made to read more than just one time in school, he was the only one I ever grew to love. The first of his books I fell in love with was probably the first one everyone read, The Old Man and the Sea. Let me tell you... When Santiago puts in three days and nights worth of backbreaking work to catch that damn marlin, and those sharks eat the whole thing, it was enough to shatter even my spirits. It was the first time I ever enjoyed a sad ending. I would like to take Mr. Hemingway to some old dive bar in the middle of nowhere, and even though, because of my epilepsy, I can't really drink alcohol we would drink the whole night away. I would have to make an exception for him. I would want to talk about life in general, his experiences and mine. I'd like to talk to him about anything that crossed our minds, you know, just to really get to know him. Now, the final writer I would like to meet would be Mr., uh, Mr. uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Stephen King. I grew up on his stories also. Whenever I needed a genuine scare or thrill, he was always the guy whose work I would go to first. The first thing I ever remember seeing, that, uh, being introduced to, that was done by him was the movie adaptation for The Body Stand By Me, which isn't his normal kind of story, but it totally would be one of the first that I would introduce to my child if I ever had one. I think it would prepare them for the real scares, you know, which is, which is actually <laughs> it what happened to me. I vaguely remember a time in my life where I couldn't read. And in that time was when I saw Stand By Me. It was also when I happened to see my favorite live action performance by actor Tim Curry in it. Quick shout-out shout out to Nigel Thornberry. Last name's Thornsberry. Mate. I've been getting that comparison my whole life, so quick shout-out to Nigel Thornberry. But back to the point. That film terrified me like no other before or after. Because of that scene in the locker room where Pennywise comes out of the drain, I was so scared of taking showers for so long, I can't even remember when I actually did get over it. I would love to sit around a campfire with Mr. King while he told improvised stories, scary stories to me, and whoever else was lucky enough to be there. It might be a little cheesy, but I think that sounds like such a fun night. It would be the ultimate test of courage to listen to those campfire stories miles into a forest without any contact to the outside world. Now doesn't that sound like the ultimate Halloween experience? Question 16. Is the writer-slash-author brain different? Do we communicate differently, or are all humans this way? Well, I know for sure that my brain's different, but uh, that's, for a, that's for a totally different reason. Um, I certainly think so. I'll be having a conversation with someone, and the other person will say a word or mention something, and my brain will automatically remember something that either is totally unrelated or... Or barely related just because of the sharing of a word or something like that. I like to think that not everyone has the ability to sit down and think up a story that is all their own with unique characters and a totally unseen world before. And I don't think, uh, but I don't think we communicate differently. I will say that I have seen some of the best support ever from fellow authors. We are all willing to take time out of our schedules to help each other improve or help one another with world building, character development, or even with dialogue. It is such a wonderful thing to see. When I started my journey of being a writer a few years ago, one of the first things I did was start my account on Twitter. At that time, I was expecting everyone to be cutthroat and competing with each other and nobody wanted to help one another. But, I mean, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you do meet people like that. and there are some people who think that their words come from God's mouth to their ear and then onto the paper, and that nobody in the world can write as anything as well as them. But that group of people is actually so small that you rarely ever run into them. And it's just such a great number of people who are willing to help and support you. It is just so refreshing to see all these people and interact with all these people. Question 17. What famous people or characters would play parts in your book? I have thought about this question so much throughout the writing process of Hero of Midgard. First of all, to play the main characters Alder and Brenna, I would probably choose Nicholas Holtz for Alder. I really enjoyed him as Beast in the newer X-Men movies, as well as in Warm Bodies. And I am really looking forward to his performance in the upcoming Tolkien biopic. If Nicholas Holt had shoulder-length hair and gained a little bit of muscle, he would be exactly what I was envisioning for the character. Now, Brenna, I would choose someone like Danielle McDonald. And I haven't really seen her in much, but uh, appearance-wise, she would be the perfect choice because she was she is exactly what I was thinking about for that character, minus the fact that she would have to wear a dark brown wig or dye her hair brown or something like that. Now for the antagonist, Fenrir, I would choose the voice of Keith David. I think he, had, if he added a little bit of a raspiness to his voice, he would make the character into a terrifying villain. And he would make the character still sound very intelligent, which is a must for me. Plus, if I could manage to hear him say my favorite line of his from Rick and Morty, which is, you're an enemy of the state and you kicked me in the balls ten minutes ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I could hear him say that in person, that would be another huge bonus. <laughs> uh I also have another idea for Tom Ellis to play a character who is in the sequel to hero of Midgard, his performance in Lucifer verified that he would be perfect for this mystery character. I think he would be interested because his core fan base would really enjoy that character. And it's still different enough to where he would be, it would let him be known for something other than the character Lucifer. And I, like I said, I think he would just do such a phenomenal job in that role, but it's a mystery for right now. So I can't tell you who he would be playing, but go ahead and make assumptions. If you want (laughs) question 18, what characters and novels and other mediums have left their mark on you in a good way? Which characters have left a bad taste in your mouth? The top character to influence me would be Avatar Aang from Avatar The Last Airbender. He was just so peaceful and goofy. He was, he's the reason I began learning about Buddhism and probably why I have the calm, why I behave the calm and relaxed way I do all the time today. I had just started going through all the issues presented with my epilepsy when I really got sucked into that show. I remember the first time I saw him go into the Avatar State. I related to it so much because he saw the body of his trainer and mentor, Monk Gyatso, and he lost all control of himself. Which, if you haven't seen the show, the Avatar State is when the spirits of all the previous Avatars practically possess the living Avatar and give them access to all of their knowledge and skills. When I watched that, in my mind, I compared it to when I would black out during an absent seizure because I would always become very aggressive and I would always feel terrible about it when I came to because it's totally out of, outside of my personality to behave like that. Another character that left an impression on me that was a little more recently would be Arthur Morgan from the video game Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes, technically he was a murderer and a thief, but I think he still had a heart of gold. I loved how he was a simple man with simple tastes. My favorite thing about him is that he never wanted much from life other than monetary gain. And in death, he only wanted to be buried on a nice hill looking at the sunset. He was one of the few video game characters who drove me to tears with the ending of their story. There are a few more characters that make the list, but it would take just so long to tell you exactly why. Some of these characters are Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne, The Joker, Peter Parker, Joffrey Baratheon, Ash Ketchum, Trunks and Gohan from Dragon Ball Z, The Trunks from the future, not the kid version. I always thought he was way annoying. Um, Toph from Avatar The Last Airbender. And Hiccup from How To Train Your Dragon, just to name a few. There are a few characters who I saw and I just didn't like from the beginning. And they served to me as a warning of what not to do. Characters like the TV version of Andrea from The Walking Dead. I just didn't like how she was so distracted by her feelings for some dude she had just met, the governor, that she was willing to turn her back on two people that did all they could to keep her alive for so long in Rick and Michonne. A dumb a dumb one for me. I, I, I'll admit that this one is a little illogical, but it it's it's valid. Uh, Kimmy Gibbler from Full House. Now, I'm sure the actress is nice enough in person, but her character is just so annoying. And yeah, I get it that that's the whole purpose behind that character is just to annoy you, but it's, it's just too much. Now, the last one I'll list would be Dolores Umbridge. And it's just because you are supposed to hate her and she doesn't bring anything to the table to give you a reason to like her. I mean, for me, even, even with Joffrey Baratheon, I hated him, but I loved to hate him as a character because of how evil and twisted he was. He had no other goals than to just make people know that he was the king and he was better than you. And he was a dick, but I, I loved that about his character. And now with Umbridge, it's just pure hatred, which I'll admit is great writing and acting on their parts, but I need at least one reason to really get attached to her to be like, no, 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 she's not that bad in really, in all reality, she really is. She's just awful. Question 19. Describe your writing space. What's your perfect writing setup? Do you have a dream writing room? Does setting and environment matter to writing? (laughs) That's a good one, Moss. My writing space. If you could even call it that. (laughs) Um, It consists of a TV tray with my laptop on top. I have no specific area where I write, but I suppose most of it happens in my bedroom. When I write, I always have to be listening to music, so I constantly have my headphones on when I'm writing. I draw so much of my inspiration from music. Sometimes it's a line I'll think of while I'm listening to music. Other times I'll be inspired by a single song and I'll get a whole character. There have been times that I'll think of a plot point while I'm listening to music, so it's always a big help. Plus, people will tend to leave you alone with your to your writing if you have a big pair of headphones on. <laughs> um, my perfect writing setup and dream writing room would consist of a nice soundbar. I would hook my phone up to it to listen to music nice and loud while I write. I would also like a newer laptop and an actual desk with a chair. <laughs> um, if I could get a writing room with a window and a nice view, that would be pretty nice as well. The main thing would be... Just to have my own space, that was only meant for me and my writing. Yes, I do believe that the environment in which you try to write has a direct impact on your writing. I think that if you sit in a dull gray room with no windows or anything on the walls, you will either be too bored to write, or you just won't have as as many interesting ideas as you would if you could, say, glance out of a window and look at a field or a stream. I have come, came up with many good ideas in the forests of Michigan, and I certainly feel that I have this beautiful environment, landscape, and all of its creatures who call this region home to thank for that. Question 20. Should writing be a struggle? Do we need to sit down and bleed on the keyboard? When is it time to stop the blood, sweat, and tears? I think it should be a struggle, yes. I think that if it wasn't something that could be so incredibly difficult, then you wouldn't get the same satisfaction out of it. The best things someone can pull off are often difficult to achieve, but they are always so rewarding. I almost gave up so many times while writing my book. There was a time in the early stages, I, I, gave up, I almost gave up just because I couldn't think of a way to make the story, the plot advance and the story just wouldn't work. And I almost quit, but I, just before I did, the idea came rushing to my mind out of nowhere when I was doing dishes one day. Then a few months later, I got the game God of War that I, that came out uh, last year recently. It also almost crushed my spirits because of one major similarity. So I, had to, so I, I was so let down that I basically quit writing for about a month. And then I picked myself back up and got back to work. I had almost given up on the manuscript for Hero of Midgard altogether, a few months after I, uh, after sending it out to a few agents and publishers. But then one morning I woke up and checked my email for the first time in weeks, and there it was, my, accept- my the acceptance by my publisher. It had been sitting in my inbox for about three weeks when I f- did finally see it just like that all of my goals for the past two years were achieved and I didn't get the memo for three weeks (laughs) it is never time to stop with the blood sweat and tears people have been putting those three into what they've been passionate about for centuries and greatness has been the result if it wasn't for blood sweat and tears Tom Brady wouldn't have won six Super Bowl rings Michael Jordan wouldn't have gotten his two three-peats. I think about how differently the film industry would be today if Orson Welles hadn't put his blood, sweat, and tears into Citizen Kane, which was such a revolutionary film. I think it, I think it is the very least we owe ourselves to give all that we have into our writing or whatever it is we're passionate about because so many other people, like I said earlier, will be able to tell... That we gave it our all and like I said people will respect those who give their best efforts Question 21 what are the influences of mythology and the past on you and your work? Why write about them? How are they relevant? Mythology as a whole has influenced me in such a crazy way I love researching a new pantheon and finding similarities in different gods and goddesses. The conspiracy theorist in me wants to hop on a rooftop and start crying about how they're aliens and all this. But I think that a lot of it actually has to do with the fact that these gods were mentioned to outsiders. And then those outsiders took the story and traveled to a new land where they became a new, a new God with a different story. Like, um, like a much much larger scale of the ancient Greek and Roman mythologies. I love writing in the past because it gives me an excuse uh, to learn something new. And for the most part, it's crazy what some of these ancient civilizations were capable of. Like the Baghdad Battery, which consists of a ceramic pot with a copper tube and an iron rod inside. They would fill it up with vinegar and then they would put an asphalt top on it as a stopper and it would actually produce a volt of electricity, which isn't much today, but that's incredible that they had things like that back then. And if they had five of them, that's a decent amount of power for back then. We need to write things, uh, we need to write about things like this so that the world never forgets about where it has been. Whenever I hear a story of a historical figure doing something incredible that I hadn't heard of before, I think, how the hell did I not learn about this in school? Which is the case with Sid Hatfield. You might recognize his name because he's from the Hatfields and McCoy's family. He was the police chief of Meadowan, West Virginia, and he led a group of miners in a shootout with some government officials after those officials tried to evict, evict the miners from their property. The shootout left seven government officials dead, three townsfolk dead, and two miners dead. It was a horrible tragedy, but it was a turning point in the fight for American miners' rights. I think that they are relevant because there will always be something to learn from the past, whether it is about a a movement that got men their working rights, or it is about an ancient people and their religion we can always find something throughout history to learn from and we can always find inspiration from it. I feel like the history of our planet and the story of us as a people will always remain relevant. There will always be historic high points where we are amazed by all of the great things to come out of that era like the Age of Enlightenment. Then again, There has been more than one occasion of terrible things uh, happening on our planet and those things we need to remember and learn from for the greater good of all of us because I I mean nobody wants to see another atrocity like the Holocaust happen ever, ever again or nobody wants another weapon as powerful as the atom bomb to be used ever again and that is why historical documentation will always be one of the most important things to, for people to learn. At least to me, it will be. Now it's time for Ask Moss. We get to the suit new segment where those being interviewed, that's me, get to Ask Moss. I should probably add like a sound effect on that, Ask Moss. Ask Moss, something cool like that. We get one question for Moss and all of the listeners. I, for one, am so excited to kick this off with our first question. My question for Moss and all of the listeners is this. How long in total did you spend writing your book? In Moss's case, I'm speaking of Greyhawk of Terrapin. Were there times you almost gave up? If so, what kept you from giving up? I cannot wait to hear your responses And I would like to thank Moss for giving me the opportunity to speak about my writing, my process, and just about me in general. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye.